good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Tonight we're turning to 2 Kings 4. We're going to read from the verse uh, number 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. And let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be, when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day, that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber, and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto her, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, And verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thy man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season, and Elisha had said unto her, According to the time of life. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Now, these chapters in this section of Elisha's life are overviewing the greatness of our God. We come across another woman in tonight's account. A woman who is in contrast to the lady we saw last time. And the last time we saw a widow woman marked by great poverty. Here we see a woman described as a great woman in verse number 8. Great, marked by prosperity, marked by success, likely by prominence and a measure of importance in her own region. Immediately we should note that God is pleased to take an interest in people of different social standings. There are extremes to avoid when it comes to understanding the place of money in the welfare of God's people. Being poor doesn't earn the right to God's favor any more than being rich is a sign of God's favor. I hope you see those both errors. It's wrong to think that richness is an infallible mark of God's favor. And it's also wrong to assume that being poor earns you God's favor. The Bible tells us there are not many mighty that are called, but it does not say not any. And yet we must remember that James is clear in his teaching that we must not respect persons. 
We must be impartial. We must treat people as we find them, irrespective of their financial standing. But the point I want to show you again tonight is when you look at these two women together, you see a God who has an interest in his own sovereign will and purpose in both the rich and the poor. The Bible's whosoever is a very precious word. All color, colors, creeds, cultures, and conditions are included under the grace of God. And for that we are thankful. A certain woman in verse number 1 of chapter 4, and now a great woman in verse number 8. The story itself is really quite clear and needs little by way of explanation. In kindness, this woman has provided for the physical needs of the itinerant journeys of the prophet. He has made his journeys, of course, we know from the account of Naaman that Elisha had his own home. But he was an itinerant preacher at times, and whenever he passed by Shunem, as we have here in the Word, he passed by them continually. We have an indication that this woman was moved with compassion to help God's servant. He received bread, and later he then received lodging. They made a chamber for him, the prophet's chamber. And Elisha, as he lies upon a bed on an evening in verse number 11, he has a thought within his soul that he would like to return kindness for kindness. That's, again, a mark of grace. And through his servant, he asks what they could do for the lady. It seems to be that they are suggesting that because they have some uh, weight in their own authority and in their own influence, that they can perhaps give some degree of promotion, even further social advancement in verse number 13. But the lady answers, in essence, she has everything. She says, I dwell among mine own people. It's a way of describing her contentedness. I don't want to move. I don't want to climb the social ladder. I am content where I am. I dwell contentedly among mine own people. And so what do you get? The woman who has everything? Well, it seems to be there is one aching void in her life. And we're told in the account that she is barren, verse 14, she hath no child, and natural hope seems to have gone. Her husband is old. And God steps in and gives a promise that a son is to be born. Remarkable, miraculous, joyful. And yet in a few years, tragedy has struck the home and we find that the son that is given, down in verse number 20, is now dead. Now I want to study no further than that tonight. We'll come back in a future study to the, uh, the subsequent events regarding the life and the resurrection of this son but for tonight, just surveying the entire account and looking at it in light of this woman and her interaction with God, surely we must see that the God of the Bible, the God of heaven, is the God of the changing scenes of life. First of all, note that God is the God of the good gift. A barren woman receives a son. Now, this immediately is a familiar theme in the Bible. God gives when natural hope is gone. You have Sarah, who is Isaac, and Rebekah, who is Esau and Jacob, Rachel is Joseph, Manoah's wife is Samson, Hannah is Samuel, Elizabeth is John, 
You get the point. These are repeated events in the Word of God. But yet, there is something very distinct in this account. And one comes here and makes the observation very relevantly. Each of the other episodes deal with the delivering or the giving of a son who in turn has a major role to play in redemptive history. That in God's big picture redemptive purposes, these other sons, whether it be Jacob, Joseph, Samson, or Samuel, they all have a big role to play in God's purposes. Yet, we have here a son of whom we know nothing more than the event in this particular portion of Scripture. I think simply, he is a good gift from a kind God. God is pleased to give such kind gifts. Again, one writer says this, The Lord gives such a gift, not because he will fulfill some grand redemptive historical function, but simply because he wants to make a woman happy with a child in God's sovereign purposes. We have a God who delights in making his people happy with good gifts. At times, okay, we've got to be careful here. At times, we understand that it is the Lord's will to withhold things, things that we would like, but that He chooses in His sovereignty to withhold. But at other times, He is pleased to give freely physical, temporal blessings. And the point to note is that He is the one who gives. That the good things that we enjoy, we enjoy from God. It is God who gives us all things richly to enjoy, or gives us richly all things to enjoy. First Timothy chapter 6. It is God, who in James chapter 1, who gives every good and perfect gift that comes from above, come down from the Father of lights. See, so turn please to First Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4, just... Note the language here. 1 Timothy chapter 4. We have, again, the warning, the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctors of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. The danger here that the apostle is warning the church about through Timothy is a danger of asceticism. It is a danger of despising the good gifts of this world. That is a real danger. And it's a mark of apostate days. It's when they depart from the faith that there can rise in some circles a false spirituality that despises the physicality of this world. And so, due to uh, succumbing to error... On the one hand, there may be licentiousness, there may be immorality, but on the other hand, there can be false asceticism. And you need to look no further than the practices of the Roman Catholic Church to see such things as being present in all ages. That suddenly, it is looked to be a mark of unspirituality if you have a good time in this world. 
But God has given us good gifts. Don't despise them. Don't despise the gift of family, of church fellowship, of good food. Don't despise these things. They are not to be abstained from. They are to be received with thanksgiving. Don't feel guilty for smiling sometimes. Don't feel guilty for sitting back on your chair after a good meal and saying, that was a good meal, praise the Lord. These things should not be despised. It is not, it is not right to seek first God's kingdom by despising God's earth. Rather, we must make sure that we keep our eyes on God, who is the giver of all things. But as we keep our eyes on God, the giver, we enjoy the gifts that God gives. He is pleased to freely give us things that add pleasantness and joy to our lives. And so as it says in 1 Timothy 4, we are to make sure that it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. That is how we seek first the kingdom by enjoying this world's good things. I read the question once, and I think it's a very pertinent question. Uh, what if we woke up tomorrow with only those things that we were thankful for today? So whatever you've been thankful for today, that's what you'll get tomorrow. And I think it reveals our hearts that, truth be told, we are slow to thank God for the good gifts that he gives us. There is in the Bible a clear picture of God of the good gift. But he's also the God who is pleased to honor those who honor him. Again, we, 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 can't, we can't sort of sidestep the issue here in 2 Kings chapter 4. Undoubtedly, the mindset of the Spirit-filled apostle in verse 13 is, she has cared for us, what can we do in return for her? The gift of a son to this woman is clearly a reward for her conduct. Her conduct is marked by tremendous faith in God. Verse 9, she recognized Elisha to be a holy man of God. Verse number 10, she shows that kind and hospitable spirit. She goes the extra mile to ensure that she has the Lord's prophet with her. Even in verse 13, we see a blessed spirit of contentedness. These are marks of God's grace. But it is a difficult principle. Does God reward undeserving sinners? Surely our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, our best deeds are but poor in his sight. And yet here we see clearly that God gives in response to conduct. Should we be motivated by such things? Should such rewards drive us to serve God? Is it good to desire the blessing of God? Is that not selfish and self-seeking? Well, of course, at the heart of all things, we must do right simply because it's right. Period. That's what we must do. If it's right, it's right. And we should do it because it's right. Yet, it is a mark of God's unspeakable grace that he delights to reward us for our obedience. He's pleased. Yes, in his own sovereign purposes, it is not always the case that we always receive 
There are times that God withholds things from us, but we should understand that at times God is pleased to bless us because we've chosen to honor him and do what is right. That's a mark of God's grace. Let me prove this to you very, very quickly. Look at Galatians chapter 6, please. Galatians chapter 6. Now, undoubtedly in Galatians chapter 6, we are looking at God's reward in an eternal sense. And so there is a, a sense in which God is pleased to reward us going forward. And verse number 7 of Galatians 6 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now, of course here, the good works are done by the Spirit. And so it was for this woman. The faith that she has, the generosity that she has, the contentedness that she has are all marks of the work of God's Spirit, Old Testament or New. These are not natural traits. But having said that those who sow shall reap, then the apostle says in verse number 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not, as we have therefore opportunity. Let us do good unto all men. You turn back to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and the verse number 28, Peter says, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And the Lord does not rebuke him. The Lord says, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that have left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time and in the world to come eternal life. Receive in this time in response to determination to follow Christ. Now, we often, and rightly so, we will preach about the persecutions that are mentioned in verse number 30. That if you choose to follow Christ, Mark chapter 10 makes it clear that there will come persecutions. But at the same time, there are blessings that God gives us in this life. This church is one of those blessings that God is pleased to abundantly provide for us in the midst of our persecutions. And so while life may be challenging to be a Christian, God is no man's debtor. And he is not unrighteous, Hebrews chapter 6, to forget the labor of love. God is pleased to honor those that honor him. And that ought to encourage your soul in obedience tonight. So what sort of person does God honor? Well, God honors those who love and display love. That's what this woman is doing here. She is hospitable to a man of God. Hebrews 13, 1 Peter 4, give great commendation to the practice of hospitality. An open house. When God opens the heart, he opens the home. When God opens our hearts to the grace of God, he opens our home that we would display God's grace to others in our home. That is God's work in our souls. She is able. She's a great woman. She's able to do much for the Lord and for the Lord's cause. She's using her resources for the blessing of God's servants. And so she is like those in Matthew 25 
You're doing things for the Lord by serving the Lord's people. God rewards those who are faithful to him. I believe this woman was faithful in her attentiveness to the word of God. In verse 23, we'll see next time that she has the challenge of going to find the, the prophet. And the husband says to her, it is neither new moon nor Sabbath. Indicating that it was normally her practice to seek the attention of the prophet on the new moons and Sabbath, those feast times, those Sabbath days where she would hear the word of God. I'm just showing there's a picture of a woman here that is broader than simply someone who makes a chamber in a wall whereby a prophet can have a bed. There's a woman who has come to receive God's prophet. And having received God's prophet, opens her heart for the good of God's kingdom in the context when most people are buying the need to Baal. Here's a godly, contented woman who in turn is honored by her God. And so the question comes, how do we reverence and honor God's prophet? How do we love Christ? Have we a place for Christ in our homes? And have we a desire to use our resources for the benefit of the Christ of God? Punishment came upon the children who rejected God's prophet. And reward comes upon the woman who reveres God's prophet, who respects God's prophet. It points forward to how we view Christ. This is not the suggestion that you all put a bed in your house for me to sleep on. That's not the point. The point is, this is God's anointed prophet. It points forward to Christ. And therefore, we must see in this, how do we regard Christ? How do we regard the glory of Christ in this world? And are we using our resources for the glory of his name? It is the God who is pleased to honor those who honor him. But finally, we see in this portion the God who is in control of all the changing scenes of time. And I said we see God through the years in the life of this woman. And in verse 18 through 20, we are confronted with a tragedy that befalls this home. Now, you may have read ahead at some point, and you may know how this story ends. But I simply want to ask you to put yourself in the shoes of this woman as the door opens and her son is laid upon her knees. She does not at that point know the end of the story. She has longed for this child. She has carried this child. She has weaned this child. She has watched this child to the point where they can run out into the field with the father. And now she finds herself holding her lifeless child upon her knees. The God who was there in the promise and the God who was there in the fulfillment of the promise. Where is that God now? The joy and the birth, and now the loss. Where is the Lord in the sorrow? Well, what happens after this indicates that this woman believes that God is still there in the sorrow. Her first response is to get up 
and to go to the man of God. And so I believe we can see by implication here that even though she holds a dead son upon her knees, she does so in the conviction that God is still on the throne. And the God of the good gift is also the God who takes away the good gifts. Job chapter 1, the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. So the wise man in Ecclesiastes can say there's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. And the apostle can tell the church to weep with those who weep as well as rejoicing with those who rejoice. That in the changing scenes of time there is still the same God on the throne. And we don't know what heights we will enjoy or what depths into which we will go. But we do know that there's a God who does all things well. And so we sang the paraphrase of Habakkuk chapter 3, And lo, the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, etc. Yet the prophet will say, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. You see, the God of 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8 and following, we delight in seeing the God of good kindness. But we must also rejoice in seeing a God of strange providence, the God who works in mysterious ways, the God of Calvary, where wicked men put his son upon a tree, and when darkness falls upon the earth, still God is on the throne and working out his own determinate counsel and foreknowledge. And the God of the darkness of Calvary is the God of the darkness in your life. And though at times it may seem, and you may echo the words of Christ in the cross as you feel as if the God of heaven has forsaken you, you know at the same time you do not say God, but you can say my God. And by faith you can look to the God. He is the God of providence, in both the pain and in the joys. Now this is a, is a very simple devotional meditation. But if you have not grasped the nature of your God, then tomorrow may blow you off your feet, and the next day may put you under the ground, as it were, spiritually. You've got to have your feet grounded upon a right understanding of the purposes of God who makes no mistakes, who graciously gives, and who graciously takes so that we are ensured that our portion is God in the land of the living. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.